In the last episode, we talked about how to get unstuck in your life by locating the crucial conversations you are either not having or you're not having well. Now, if you remember, a crucial conversation is one in which there are differing opinions, there's high stakes, and high emotions, and they can show up anywhere. So this can be things at work, at home, you know, when you're talking with your spouse or partner, with your friends. Now, at the very center of every one of these crucial conversations, there has to be the free flow of relevant information, or essentially dialogue, and they call it the pool of shared meaning. And this actually represents the IQ of the group, because the safer the conversation is, the more meaning and perspectives can be added to the middle, thus the smarter decisions that can be made. How does our definition of success shape how we live our daily lives? Join me, your host, Michael Bauman, as we create a life of success by exploring the cutting-edge research in happiness, motivation, psychology, philosophy, and more. Welcome to Thrive Culture Success Engineering. After defining crucial conversations and highlighting the importance of learning to master them, we then laid the groundwork of the first three steps of the process of starting with your heart, learning to look, and making it safe. So let's review those really quick. So essentially, if we don't feel safe to share our thoughts or perspectives in the pool of shared meaning, we're either going to withdraw to silence, or we're going to forcefully push push our meaning into the middle with violence and attacking, similar to that fight and flight response when faced with a threat. So whenever we go into a crucial conversation, or if we find ourselves in the middle of one, we need to ask four questions to make sure that we are starting and maintaining the right heart or the right intention. The first question is, what am I behaving like I want? So if there was an outside observer and they were looking in, would they see you trying to win the argument or actually be focused on the results of the conversation? The second question we ask is, what are the results that I want for myself, for other people, for the relationship, and for the organization? what, What do I actually want to achieve out of this conversation? And keeping that as the focus. Then we ask the negative of that and we say, what don't I want to have happen? So I don't want to damage the relationship or lose my job or to have nothing change. Then you take what you do want and you take what you don't want and you reframe them together into a question. So for instance, how can I talk with my spouse or partner about my frustrations that I'm feeling with doing more of the housework and still maintain our connection? Then the final question you ask is, how would I behave if I really wanted these results? And then that is what you keep as your focus throughout the entire conversation, even if emotions start to run hotter. So step number two was learning to look. And this is really developing the ability to notice early on when a conversation turns crucial. And you do that by noticing both your your physical and emotional responses and those of the people or the person that you're talking to. And whenever you see somebody starting to go to silence or violence, or you start to do that, instead of getting defensive, use this as a trigger to cue that the conversation is not safe. You need to actually make the conversation safe, which is the third step, making it safe. So you want to look for whether mutual respect or mutual purpose have been lost by asking, does the other person believe that I care about them? which is the mutual respect part, and does the other person believe that I care about their goals, 
which is the mutual purpose part. So remember, if mutual respect has been lost in the conversation, it usually turns to defending the dignity. And if mutual purpose has been lost, it turns into a debate. So when you see these things start to happen, you want to step outside of the content of the conversation, restore the safety of it by apologizing if you need to, expressing what you don't want and what your intentions are not. And then after you've used that to restore safety, then you can step back into the content and express what you do want for the relationship. And if mutual purpose has been lost, you can use the CRIB acronym, which stands for committing to find a mutual purpose, recognize the why behind the strategy they're using. So essentially separating the what from their why, invent a mutual purpose together, and then brainstorm new strategies to actually achieve that purpose. So now it's time to talk about how we can master our stories. This is the fourth step. This allows us to actually stay in dialogue when we're angry or scared or hurt. Now, Joseph Grenny, one of the authors of this book, says, The central skill for taking control of the quality of your life and the quality of your relationships is the ability to master your stories. So what's the problem? When it matters the most and our emotions actually kick in, we often do our worst. And unfortunately, we feel like we're doing the right thing. So the solution is actually to learn how to create the emotions that make us want to return to healthy dialogue. And so our stories create our emotions and then we create our stories. And the cause of all of the emotions we experience are actually from the stories we tell ourselves. The quote from the book says, just after we observe what others do, and just before we feel some emotion, we tell ourselves a story. So that is, we add meaning to the action we observed. We add motive. Why were they doing that? Potentially judgment. Is that a good or is that good or bad? And then based on these thoughts or stories, our body responds with an emotion that we may or may not act upon. So this lays out our path to action, what they call the path to action in this Crucial Conversation book. First, we see or hear something. Then we tell a story about what we saw or heard, which makes us feel something, and then we act upon it. Let's use the example of someone cutting you off in traffic to demonstrate this. So first, you see them cut you off in traffic. Then, and this can happen very quickly, you tell a story about their motive. So one story could be, you know, they're an inconsiderate jerk who doesn't care about anybody else. Or another story could potentially be they're a dad who's rushing rushing to the hospital because her wife is in labor. So it's interesting to note that either one of these stories could potentially be true. And we have no way of knowing which one is actually true. It's like the difference between guilty until proven innocent or innocent until proven guilty. Unfortunately, though, we usually make what is called the fundamental attribution error, which is defined as the tendency to judge a person in an unpleasant situation in a bad light and attribute his or her behavior to internal causes and qualities rather than understanding the situation or the circumstances that may have caused the person to behave the way they did. So even though we don't know whether the driver of the car cut us off because they were rushing to the hospital or not, we usually attribute their behavior to some negative internal qualities, like they're a jerk or they're selfish or they're rude. 
which causes us to actually feel a negative emotion like anger or frustration and potentially act on it with some less than pleasant words or maybe gestures. And on a side note from this, when our behavior may not be as exemplary as we would like, we are very quick to attribute it to external factors or the circumstances that affected us rather than attributing it to us being a jerk or a bad person. So essentially, we let ourselves off the hook because of circumstances, but we, when we see someone else make a mistake or they're unkind or they're rude, we're very quick to attribute that to their personality instead of the fact that they may be exhausted or they might have had a terrible day. So the next time someone's in kind to you, remember this and actually take a moment to think about what their, may, what their day may have looked like or their week or even their life that you know may have affected how they talked with you and try to give them the benefit of the doubt. How would our interactions change if instead of making that fundamental attribution error, we treated people as if they were innocent until proven guilty? So what if we essentially told a different story about them? Well, that's exactly how we can change how we feel. Another quote from the book says, we can take back control of our emotions by telling a different story. If we can control our stories, we can master our emotions and therefore master crucial conversations. So how we do this is we actually need to retrace our own path to action. So this starts with first noticing what our behavior is, kind of stepping out and going, what am I acting like right now? So that's the act phase. Then we use that to get in touch with our emotions. So what am I feeling? And that helps us understand what story we potentially are telling. And then we get all the way back to the facts. So this is the hard, observable, measurable things that actually occurred. So there are three skills to help us master our stories. The first one is the ability to separate facts from stories. And this we even talked about in episode 12 on sleep. The ability to be able to separate facts from the stories that we tell ourselves, which create emotions that keep us from being able to go to sleep, can actually help us um, improve the quality of our sleep. The second one here is watch for three clever stories. So a victim story, a villain story, and a helpless story. And then the third step is actually telling the rest of the story. So first, it's important to actually define the difference between a story and a fact. This can be easy to miss, but it's actually quite vital. So a fact is the actual occurrence, and this is proven through observation or measurement. So it's what you actually saw as opposed to your thoughts about what you saw which are your stories. So stories are judgments or conclusions and attributions that we actually make from the facts. And any set of facts can actually be used to tell an infinite number of stories. On to the three clever stories that we tell. So unfortunately, the unpleasant truth is we often tell stories that help us feel good about doing things that ruin our relationships and results. So the first one of these stories is a victim story. Basically, it's not my fault. Then we have the villain story, which is it's all your fault. And what we do is we actually turn people into monsters by emphasizing their negative qualities. So that removes the responsibility that we have in the conversation. And the third one is the helpless story. So there's nothing else I could have done. What these stories do is they convince us there's no other healthy options that were available. But that's where we need to tell the rest of the story. So we need to assess our role in the conversation and outcome. And how we can do this is by asking, 
what am I pretending not to notice about my role in the problem? And then the second thing is we actually humanize other people. And this is one of the most important questions to ask. This is one of those things, if you forget everything else I said, try to remember this question. Why would a reasonable, rational, and decent person do this? What that does is that separates them from those negative qualities that we may be projecting and just ask them potentially, what are the circumstances that have caused them to act like this? Like if I were to shift my whole perspective and mindset and paint them in a reasonable, rational light, why would they do the action that they're doing? Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're frustrated. You know, they had a terrible day. And then the third step is to transform helpless into able. And we do that by asking, what should I do right now to move toward what I really want? And that reminds us of both our power and the ability we have to change the situation, but also it reminds me of David Allen's what's the next action motto, essentially going, what can we actually do to move me towards what I want? So let's really quick summarize how we can master our stories. First, we separate the facts from the actual story. Second, we watch for that victim, villain, and helpless stories. And then third, we tell the rest of the story by asking three questions. What am I pretending not to notice about my role in the problem? Why would a reasonable, rational, decent person do this? And what should I do right now to move towards what I really want? So once we have mastered our stories and retraced our path to action, then we can actually move to step five, which is state my path. And the problem in this is during crucial conversations, we say things in exactly the wrong way. And the solution is to utilize five skills, essentially the STATE acronym, for how to say risky things in a way that minimizes people's defensiveness. So the S stands for share your facts. T stands for tell your story. The A stands for ask for others' paths to their story. T is talk tentatively. And E is encourage testing. So once you've actually retraced your path to action, you can get back to those facts and you want to share your facts because facts are indisputable. They're what actually happened. So they're what you saw and what you heard. And you may want to put in at this point how it differed from your expectations. So this separates potentially unattractive conclusions that you may have drawn from the facts. So a great way to go about doing this is using language like, I noticed that or I was under the impression that I was expecting such and such. And that, that using terms and phrases like that reduces defensiveness. So the second step is tell your story. So based on those facts, what conclusions did you start to draw? What story did you start to tell? So you might present this like, from what I saw or heard, I started to think, or it led me to conclude or wonder about, Or even this led me to feel confused or frustrated or sad because I thought that, you know, and you share the story that you're drawing from it. Then you ask for others' paths to their story. And this is really, really important. It's important to be humble during this process and to sincerely ask. You want to listen without interrupting to their story and genuinely care about what they have to say. And what that does is that creates that safe place where they can fill the pool of shared meaning with their thoughts and their opinions so that everybody involved can make the best decision. And how you might want to go about asking for their path to the story would be, you know, maybe how do you see it? Or how can you help me better understand? What's your view or your thoughts in this? And you don't want to ask, isn't that the case? 
or what can we do to make sure this does not happen again? Or no one disagrees with that because that's automatically assuming that your story is the correct story where really the facts are facts and there's different ways to tell the story and you're genuinely opening it up for them to be able to express their story. The T stands for talk tentatively and tell your story as a story, not as a fact. And that allows room for other people's stories. So you want to avoid absolutes. And by saying things like, you know, in my opinion, or I was wondering whether I was thinking that possibly, maybe it would make more sense to, or I believe that we should. And some of you may, may think that this is coming off too soft, but oftentimes we come off too hard. So you don't want to, you still want to be able to express, you know, the content of what you have to say, but you want to do it in a way that reduces defensiveness and ideally creates as, as safe as possible of a place for the conversation to take place. And then you encourage testing. So remember your purpose is essentially to make it as safe as possible to get everybody's meaning into this shared pool. So asking, how do you see it? How do you see it differently? And there's a great quote from the book that says, our only limit to how strongly we can express our opinion is our willingness to be equally vigorous in encouraging others to challenge it. This is another one of those really key takeaways. If you want to be able to more strongly express your opinion in something, then think about how you can be very vigorous in encouraging other people to challenge your opinion. That way, everybody can get their meaning into the pool. So to summarize this one, we have that STATE acronym. So S, share your facts. T, tell your story. A, ask for others' paths to their stories. T, talk tentatively and E, encourage testing. Now, the next step is to explore others' paths. And Joseph Grenny says, the best predictor of your ability to get to dialogue is the amount of curiosity that you bring to the conversation. So the problem in this area is others are feeling unsafe and they've either moved to silence or violence and you're not sure why. So the solution is to learn to help others leave the silence and violence behind and actually rejoin you in dialogue by retracing their path to action. And a quick tip in regards to this, uh, to keep yourself from feeling nervous while you explore other people's paths, just remember that you're trying to understand their point of view. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to agree with it. It's vitally important, though, when we ask for people's views, we need to be genuinely interested in what they have to say. This is probably the most important skill, not only in this step, but even in conversations in general, is to learn to genuinely listen without interrupting them, with actually having the goal of trying to understand where they're coming from. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says, seek first to understand, then be understood. If we did that, it would solve so much of our relational problems and our communication problems. So I'm going to give you some power-up kind of skills for your listening skills. And you can remember this with the acronym AMP. So A-M-P-P. So this really helps you listen better and more deeply and more genuinely. The first one is A. So this stands for ask. This is really genuinely asking questions that invite them to share their thoughts and feelings so that you can understand. The M stands for mirror. And this is where you're looking for discrepancies between what they're saying and their body language. 
So essentially what their body is saying and what their words are saying. And then you hold up a mirror to it by restating it. So for example, you might say something like, you're saying that you don't care where we go out to eat, but the tone of your voice and the posture kind of say differently, that you might have some different thoughts in that regard. Would you be willing to share them? And if they go to silence, you might say something like, you seem reluctant. Are you sure you're okay with this? Or if you see them going to violence, you can say, hey, you seem pretty upset. What's the matter? And then the P stands for paraphrase. This is restating in your own words what you just heard. So you don't want to parrot exactly what they said. Try to restate the general idea of what they're saying. So for instance, your spouse might come home from work just saying, I can't handle it anymore. My boss is always on my case. I always feel like they're micromanaging me and I just don't know what to do. So you could maybe restate that and paraphrase it by saying, you know, it sounds like you're feeling pretty overwhelmed and feeling anxious. What can I do to help? Then the last P is to prime. So if you're still getting nowhere in the conversation, you can kind of take a guess at what they're feeling. So for instance, it might, you might say something like, you sound frustrated to me. Is it something that I've done that made you upset? So you're just taking a guess. It's a pretty good guess, but you're taking a guess to what they're feeling to kind of prime the conversation. Your power listening skills are to ask, to mirror, to paraphrase, and to prime. Which brings us to the last step in the process, which is move to action. And the problem in this area is when we finish off a crucial conversation, we often create a whole new set of problems by essentially not resolving it well. So the solution is learn how to transition from talking to actually getting to the next action that will bring us the results that you wanted. Now, there are four important questions to figure out what's the best way to make a decision. The first one is who cares? So essentially, who wants to be involved in this decision? The second one is who knows? So who has information or expertise that you need to make the best decision? Third one, who must agree? So who's an important piece in the agreement about a certain issue? And then the fourth one is how many people is it worth involving? What you want to look for in that area is you want to have the fewest number to maintain the quality of decision while still having support of the necessary people to pass it through. So in your move to action phase, you want to document four things. Who, does what, by when, and how will we follow up? Again, reminiscent of David Allen's What's the Next Action? So I know this is a lot to remember, especially when you are actually in a crucial conversation. So I want to just go over the seven-step processes one more time. So the first thing is you start with your heart or you lead with intention by asking four questions. What am I behaving like I want? What do I really want for myself, for other people, for relationship or the organization? What don't I want to happen? And how would I behave if I really wanted these results? Then we learn to look. And remember, that's one of the most crucial things you can do is notice if you or the other person start to go to silence or violence and use that as a cue to make the conversation safe. And you make it safe by asking, does the other person believe that I care about them? have mutual respect? Does the other person believe that I care about their goals so that we have mutual purpose? You apologize if needed. You use contrasting. So you express what you don't want or what your intentions are not. And then you use that to create the safety to be able to express what you do want. Or you crib. So you commit to finding a mutual purpose. Recognize the why behind the what. You invent a mutual purpose and you brainstorm strategies. Then the fourth step is master your stories. 
So you retrace your path to action by noticing your behavior, getting in touch with what you're feeling, kind of analyze what your story you're telling, and then getting back to the actual facts of the matter. Then you can separate that story from the fact. You want to be watching for three clever stories. So that victim story, it's not my fault. Villain story, it's all the other person's fault or helpless. There's nothing else I could have done. And then you tell the rest of the story by asking three questions. What am I pretending not to notice about my role in the problem? This really important question. Why would a reasonable, rational person do this? And the third question, what should I do right now to move towards what I really want? Then you state your path. So share your facts. Tell the story that you are concluding. Ask for the other person's path. Talk tentatively and encourage testing. Sixth step is explore their path to action. So listen really well. Be curious. Use those AMP listening skills. So asking, mirroring, paraphrasing, and priming. And then this last step is move to action. So who does what, by when, and how will we follow up? So in the midst of a really heated, crucial conversation, I know it can be difficult to retain this information. So I want to leave you with just a few things to remember. First thing, notice if you or the other person start to go to silence or violence. And then just try to make the conversation safe again. Restore the safety. Clarify your intentions. Apologize if you need to, to get back to a safe place. And then remember to ask that question, why would a reasonable, rational person be acting like this? And that can help you kind of separate the facts from the stories you're telling and then hopefully gives that other person the benefit of the doubt. So there it is. There's how you handle a crucial conversation like a boss. So in the next episode, I actually wanted to share an inspiring speech given by Theodore Roosevelt in 1901 to a group of veterans after the Civil War. I just recently came across this speech and I was struck by the parallels to what we are currently facing with COVID-19. So I hope this will give you hope and motivation to keep fighting this fight together. I hope to see you back for another episode of Thrive Culture Success Engineering with your host, Michael Bauman. If you enjoyed this show, it would mean a lot to me if you left a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people find the show. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.